This Word on Fire Minute is brought to you by Advantage Futures. As Catholics, we must take advantage of new technology to spread the faith. Wordonfire.org is on the front lines, featuring the work of one of the church's best messengers, Father Robert Barron. At wordonfire.org, you'll find inspirational podcasts, videos, audio sermons, books, DVDs, and the Catholicism Project. It is one of the most ambitious efforts ever to promote the Catholic faith to the world. Catholicism is Father Barron's global documentary series, filmed in high definition and now in production for TV and DVD. Father Barron's series will illustrate the beauty and depth of the church and explain the Catholic faith on our own terms. It will be an exciting new way for families, parishes, and schools to teach Catholicism. Preview the production, join our email list, and contribute to the Catholicism Project at wordonfire.org. Become part of the story today. This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this weekend is taken from the 24th and final chapter of the book of Joshua. Joshua, you recall, follows immediately upon the five books of the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Joshua is the book that immediately follows those five. And it recounts the exploits of the Israelites as they make their way into the Promised Land after the Exodus from Egypt. And it's full of stories of, of military conquest, and there's the walls of Jericho, and it's, it's Israel moving into the Promised Land and facing all of the, uh, the opposition. Well, at the very end of the book, and that's where our reading is from today, at the very end of the book, Joshua gathers the nation. It's as though he's standing before the whole people of Israel, and now he gives this great speech. He recounts for them the whole history of their people, beginning even with the ancestors of Abraham. So he's going way back. He moves through Abraham, the patriarchs, Joseph and Moses, up to the present time up to this conquest of the promised land, and he's reminding them all the time of what God has done for them. And then, it's one of the great moments in the Bible, he asks this devastatingly simple question. Whom will you serve? In the language of the Bible, listen now. If it does not please you to serve the Lord, decide today whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Hmm. Sometimes questions are complicated, filled with subtleties and ambiguities. Sometimes it's right to resist a simplistic reduction to an either-or. You know, I spend a lot of my life delving into these 
subtle, complicated theological texts, and I realize that usually a simplistic approach is not wise. It's good to look at all the subtleties and points of view and perspectives. But you know what? Sometimes things really are bracingly simple and clear. Sometimes it really does come down to an either-or. This, I submit to you, is one of those times. This is one of those questions. Whom precisely do you serve? You know, I might have mentioned to you before that one of my great heroes is Bob Dylan, the uh, folk singer, rock singer. And and Bob Dylan's been a great, uh, I think, spiritual poet over many decades now. He has a great song from the late 70s. You know, he went through a period when he had become a a born-again Christian. And his biggest uh, song from that period is called Gotta Serve Somebody. And the inspiration for that song is this passage that we've been reading from the book of Joshua. Remember, Bob Dylan sings in the chorus of that song, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. (laughs) I think there is something dead right about that. Notice his insistence that you have to serve someone. You know, we might flatter ourselves into thinking that we serve nobody. You know, I'm my own boss. But let's face it, that's an illusion. The Protestant theologian Paul Tillich characterized religion as ultimate concern. What he means is that which most fundamentally binds you and holds your attention. The point is everybody, from the atheist to the saint, has an ultimate concern. In Bob Dylan's language, it's the reality that you serve. Whom or what finally do you serve? That's the question. Well, Joshua raises this point to the Israelites. What is it in your case? What is it in my case? That is the question. Joshua says, do you serve the Lord God or do you serve other gods? The gods of the Amorites or the gods of your fathers? Do you serve the Lord with all that that service entails? Or, now let's put it in our language, do you serve the nation, the culture, your own career, your family, the latest guru? Whom do you serve? Sometimes it's extremely helpful and spiritually clarifying to pose that question in all of its simplicity. Now, I know the problem is it can be rather difficult to answer. Most of us, I imagine, when asked, would say, well, God, of course. God is the one that I serve. But listen, is it true? Is it true that God is the one that we're finally serving? The American philosopher William James talked about the cash value of an idea. Interesting idea. Interesting way to characterize it. And we all have ideas. But what's the cash value? He means, what's its pragmatic implication? What's its concrete verifiability? What's the way the idea really shows up in your life? That's its cash value. 
Well, see, here now is Joshua's question. What's the cash value of your claim that God is the one you serve? Where's that show up in your life? What real difference does it make? Can you show somebody concretely what that looks like? If not, you're probably serving something other than God. Here's a way to test it. Determine what the center of gravity in your life is. What do I mean? I mean, what's the point around which most of your energies revolve? Towards which most of your energies tend? Think of all the things you do, all the things you think about, all your activities, all your behaviors in the course of a day. Think of them almost like, a, like, like water going down a drain, right? The water is all tending toward one point. What is that point in your life? Honestly, now, don't, don't answer the way you think you ought to answer, but answer with great spiritual honesty. It might be your career. You know, I'm really honest about this. What I want is to foster my career. And so everything I do and think about revolves around that point. Maybe it's money making. Maybe it's, it's pleasure. It's to lead the good life, you know, the, the comfortable life. And everything I do, everything I decide, everything I think finally comes down to that point. Maybe it's my country. It's my culture, my political party. Now, put it up even higher, you know, maybe it's my family. My family is the center of gravity. Family is a good thing? Yeah, sure it is. So is your career. So is money. So is, so is uh, pleasure. But, but, none of those things, no matter how good they are, can or should be the absolute center of gravity of your life. That alone should be God. Again, these are all good things. I've often said that Catholics aren't Puritans. We don't say this sort of sharp either or in the sense that, well, God alone is good and all the rest are bad. No, no. All the things I mentioned are good. But listen, they're only relatively good. They're good only in relation to God. Nothing wrong with pursuing your career or making money, enhancing your reputation, doing a good day's work, fostering the flourishing of your family. Nothing wrong with those. But they don't belong in the central place. Now, in light of this, I think we can understand much more clearly a central strategy of the Bible. How the Bible again and again places these good things into question. So remember, Jesus' conversation with the rich young man. Well, who's the rich young man? He's a good kid. He's, he's not cruel, he's not violent, he's not uh, on some terrible path, but, but he's someone, and Jesus discerns this so clearly, whose center of gravity is money-making. He serves money. And so to him, Jesus says, give away all your possessions and come and follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. What he intuited was that this young man was worshiping money. He was serving money. And so he gives him this dramatic, ascetic discipline. Again, he's not saying money is bad in itself. He's saying, in your case, kiddo, you, the rich young man, in your case, your center of gravity is misplaced. 
to another prospective disciple who wanted to perform the eminently praiseworthy task of burying his father. So in, in the culture of Jesus' time, it was a very family-centric culture. You know, to bury your, your father, that was a very high religious duty. But to him, he said, let the dead bury their dead. To the one who said, your mother and your brothers are asking for you. And again, that's a very important value in Jesus' family-centric culture. Your mother and brothers have a claim on you. You know, if you're doing your work, but somehow your mother and brothers need you in a family-centric culture, that's, that takes priority. Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers? Those who do the will of God. See what he's doing here. It's a spiritual strategy. He's not saying family is a bad thing. He's saying family is wonderful, but it's not God. Just as money and material prosperity are good things, but they're not God. It is only God that you should serve, listen, with your whole heart. To those who had placed pleasure at the center of their lives, he said, Blessed are you who mourn. He's not, he's not uh, glorifying uh, depression. He's saying pleasure is a great thing, but it shouldn't be served. We hear that James and John, Peter and Andrew, left their boats and their nets and came after Jesus. What did they abandon? Their careers. To be a Galilean fisherman, that was a you know that was an important uh, business. To abandon their nets and their boats, that's like saying walking out of your office. It's like saying leaving the factory. It's like saying leaving your place of business. They left their careers and they followed Jesus. Are careers bad things? No, no. But they can't be the center. They can't be the thing that you serve. Your career is a great thing, but it's not God. And so, friends, I'd like you, in the wake of uh, these readings, imagine yourself now in that crowd of Israelites. You're looking up on a little hillside, and there's Joshua. He says, okay, let's get down to spiritual basics. I and my family, we serve the Lord. Whom do you serve? Honest? No, it's a time for honesty. It's time for spiritual truth here. Whom do you serve? Who or what is the center of gravity? If it's not the Lord, we got a problem. Or hear those words of Bob Dylan. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Who is it? God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. 